So I want to tell you about my favorite story from the Hebrew Scriptures. And I want to tell you how that became my favorite story from the Hebrew Scriptures. It's of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's had many different versions and iterations in art and literature over the years. The basics of it is this. Jacob, who up until this point in the story is really something of a scoundrel. He's the grandson, some of you might know, of Abraham and Sarah. He's uh, cheated his brother Esau out of his blessing and inheritance. And at this point in the story, he encounters, some versions say a man, some versions say an angel, some say a figure of God, some kind of supernatural manifestation of supernatural being. And they wrestle all night long. Hours and hours and hours and hours of sweaty, exhausted, physical endurance. And Jacob says these words, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. It is only after letting go, after receiving the blessing that Jacob actually experiences a change in name and a change in identity. He becomes Israel, which is translated into one who strives with God and human beings and is able to win victory. Let me tell you how this became my favorite scriptural story. This is the uncomfortable part. For me, I hope not for you. For me, not just uncomfortable, but one of the most physically grueling experiences I ever had, had, or ever will hope to have. Some of you know um, this tool, this practice, Jahari's Window. It's a way of cultivating a deeper level of self-awareness and also awareness in the teams with which we might work. It's come up at times here at Wellsprings, especially from our leadership development core ministry. And so you see there's a bunch of quadrants, and we put things, we write things down in the quadrant. Other people write things down in our quadrant. So we will put down things like known to self, known to others, or write something down. And others will write down not known to self, but known to others. You see how it works out. So I was using this as part of a group a group of chaplains in the summer of 1996, just before July 4th. We were serving at NYU Medical Center in Manhattan, and actually we were off the grounds of the medical center of the hospital that day doing our midterm evaluation using Jahari's window. And I wrote something like, I don't still have the paper. I wrote something like, I am getting to the point of absolutely intolerable, excruciating pain in the box that said, here's something I know about myself that you don't know. Now, where was this pain? It was where those of us who have biologically male sex organs do not want pain. (laughs) And so it led to one of the weirder scenes in my life. You see, one of my fellow chaplains, before he became a Franciscan friar, and he was about to become a Franciscan priest, he was a medical doctor. And as I described my symptoms to him, 
he said, Peter Sanchez, still a friend of mine, he said, maybe I can take you into the other room and do an examination. (laughs) And so it was that me in full suit, except from the waist down, was being examined by a man in full Franciscan garb. (laughs) Folks, you can't make this shit up. And when he asked, does this hurt? (laughs) And I jumped physically. He said, yeah, we need to get you back to the hospital. And in the stereotype of every bad New York City cab ride hitting every pothole (laughs) for 20 blocks, that's what I remember at least. NYU Medical Center, the hospital, is an extraordinarily good hospital. However, it's a teaching hospital. (laughs) Which I remember as a whole series of people coming in and going, poke, 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 poke. Because no one could quite agree on what was going on. They thought it was this thing called torsion, which, look it up for yourself. Um, it turns out, finally, I got to see an attending who said, yeah, this is torsion of the testicular appendix. Who knew I had that? (laughs) And a few hours later, I was in surgery. Everything turned out fine. I exhale, not just because I actually chose to tell you that story, but because I'm remembering the level of pain that that was. So a few days later, after the July 4th holiday, I was sitting with my supervisor, who was a rabbi, Rabbi Bonita. She was a great supervisor. She really pushed me. And she knew that one of the things I was anxious about that summer, in addition to everything else that chaplaincy brings up when we're really diving in to ministry, sometimes in the midst of people's most extreme life circumstances, one of the things I was anxious about is that it was only a few years before I had left Judaism to become a Unitarian Universalist, and having her as a rabbi made me feel uncomfortable in all kinds of ways. She worked with that. She pushed me. And she knew that one of my favorite stories from my and our spiritual heritage was the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, and that a new identity spiritually was coming to be birthed within me, even as I was leaving Judaism. And we talked about this experience that I had in the hospital, what it was like to be The day before, a chaplain, and the next day, a patient, and a particularly vulnerable 26-year-old patient. Now, in the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel, it says at one point, after he received the blessing, he, he limped away because the angel injured him in his hip. Rabbi Bonita said, no. And then taking a perfect pause, she said, that angel kicked Jacob right in the balls. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Letting go 
right? We hear a lot about it, especially in a congregation like this one, progressive spiritual place. Letting go is, in fact, something we all need to do if we want to grow in this life. Nature of life is change. If we hold on too tightly, if we cling without that willingness to let go, we will ensure ourselves, as many traditions tell us, suffering. And not just suffering, but we won't develop and grow in this life. But there's a shadow side to the way letting go is talked about, especially in progressive spiritual circles. It can be the ultimate form of cheap grace, of spiritual bypass, of checking out, of not staying in touch with our lives or other people's lives. It can be a form, and I've seen people do this, when you're talking to someone who is deep in their own struggle and the other person asks, are you letting it go? This is not a helpful question. This is not a compassionate question. And so sometimes the paradox, and this is what I love about that story, before the blessing comes the wrestling. Before the letting go, the holding on. Getting to know what we're really working with and being uncomfortable there. Uncomfortable enough that eventually the transformation may come. That's the paradox. If we want to let go, sometimes we really got to hold on. Which brings me to today's Spirit Flicks message, which is a movie I don't imagine a lot of you have seen. I saw it a long time ago and couldn't even remember some parts of it, so I saw it again this past week. It is a brilliant, beautiful, and bizarre little movie. It is the true story of not this person, but an actor playing this person, Alvin Strait. A true story about this man who hopped on his 1966 John Deere lawnmower going five miles an hour because he no longer had a car. He didn't have a driver's license at that point in his life, in his 80s, and drove 250 miles over six weeks to see his estranged brother who he had once been so close to, who just had had a stroke. These two men coming to the end of their life, and this one wanting to make peace the only way that he knew how. To see his brother, to want to let go of old wounds. I will not let you go until you bless me. First, the discomfort of the pilgrimage. First, the wrestling. Only then, later, the blessing. There's only like one scene where they actually meet in the movie at the end. And the brothers had the stroke. Turns to his brother, Alvin, who's driven this whole way. And says, you drove all this way to see me? Yep. And then with tears in their eyes, they look to the skies like they did as children. The story, the straight story, is an archetype in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of experiences, individual and collective, in our lives. And I've got to tell you, since what happened a few weeks ago in Charlottesville, Virginia, and what is happening and has been happening for a long time in our country, this is the story that I have thought about. It doesn't say anything explicit about race, 
racism or marginalization or oppression. When I think, I will not let you go until you bless me. How we deal collectively and also individually, all of us together in this country at this time. I will not let you go until you bless me. I love this story and I think it's instructive. I will not let you go until you bless me. Our past. The history of this country. And yes, these are the words that I know many of you know already that our president said in the last few weeks. Sad to see the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart with the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. And I hope we all ask, who is the hour that the president is speaking of? And some words you may not know, maybe paid attention to some months ago in July, but really stuck in for me. This was the president in Paris the day before Bastille Day talking to a crowd of French people with the French President Macron. And he said, as long as we have pride in who we are, where we've come from, and how we got here, and what we've achieved as free and democratic nations, there is nothing we cannot accomplish together. I'll repeat that beginning part again. As long as we have pride in who we are, where we've come from, and how we got here. There are many parts of our history that many of us know about where the last thing any of us should have is pride. But instead, if we actually want real unity, actually want real unity in this country, pride is not necessary to confront these aspects of our past, but confession and repentance. Before any blessing of real unity, the ongoing wrestling. And so maybe we might be able to fulfill at some point those great words of the poet Langston Hughes who said these words, I think, decades, 70 years ago. Let America be America again, the America that never was. We will not find a shared, true, unifying identity in the past. It is not there. We will not find a true, unifying, shared identity in the statues that celebrate the losing side of a war that would have kept African people in chains and that were erected to remind them at the time that their lives did not matter. We will not find, even beyond race, White supremacy, we will not find a shared identity among the broken treaties with the first peoples of this land. We will not find a shared identity in the laws that kept and still keep those of darker skins and lesser economic means as second-class citizens. We will not find a shared identity in the raids and in the beatings and in the jailings thereof in the clubs and in the bars where those who loved people of the same sex or expressed their gender differently than many of us did gathered for safety and community. We will not find a shared identity on the outside of hospital doors slammed in the faces of loved ones of the sick and the dying because they were spouses in all ways that mattered in that moment, in all ways but one in the eyes of the law. We will not find a shared identity in the laws that allowed a man to do to his wife whatever he wished as long as she was his wife. 
You will not find a shared identity in the excuses of boys being girl boys and girls and women having to be afraid for their bodily safety. We will not find a shared identity in the asylums where people of mental, emotional, physical differences, disabilities, and disorders were locked away, lonely, abandoned, and abused. I could go on. Many of you could get up here and continue this litany for me. We will not find a shared identity in these parts of our past. Because in these parts of our past, there was never designed a truly shared identity. Some people counted and some people did not. But to be truly honest to this history, to wrestle with it before we want any blessing of unity, to take a fearless moral inventory of our history means that we may yet someday create a shared identity. But not yet. The America that we wish America would be and never has yet been that's a painful history to confront. I know I've resisted it for years, most of my life, in fact, and truth is I still resist it. Sometimes we resist it because maybe ourselves or our parents or our grandparents served greatly in this country and for this country in the armed forces, and we don't want to have to wrestle with the fact that what they served and sometimes died in the name of did not live up to its highest aspirations and sometimes directly contravene them. Sometimes, and I know this because I've had these conversations, and this is one of the things I vow for myself, is to engage with those people who I know feel differently about this than I do. Those people who, like me, are white or cisgendered or straight or people of economic means and people who say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making me feel collectively guilty. And I don't like feeling guilty, so I reject this. And what I try and do is say, I don't believe in collective guilt, but I believe in collective responsibility. And that when we wake up to the facts of our past and take a fearless moral inventory, we gain insight into the causes and the conditions that created this very moment there's this kind of real misunderstanding of what the power of now means or what the present moment means. As if it's some magical island out in space in which we're all free. If we all just get there. Now, realizing what the present moment is, is that the present moment is nothing but all the moments that came before us until we're finally here. And that's the power of being in the present moment. That having insight into all the causes and conditions that led us here, we may in time be free from our conditioning. But that's difficult work. And it's work that actively many parts of our country right now are resisting. I try not to be part of that, but I also try not to let myself off the hook. Because it's too easy to hear the words right, white supremacy or hatefulness and think of, I'm not even going to put his name up there or his picture up there, Richard Spencer. You know who Richard Spencer is? Really odious person. I mean, I'm sure there are people who love him, but who openly embraces 
wanting an America in which white people, and especially white men, dominated and exploited. He will say this directly. I've heard him say this directly. And so easy to say, okay, that's white supremacy right there. And forget what Dr. King told us. He said the people who stood in the way of the progress of his people the most were not the white supremacists or the people in hoods. It was the white moderates. who because they did not like the feeling of discomfort or wanted to avoid chaos in any way, told Dr. King and his people and his movement, maybe someday, but not now. This is wanting the blessing without the wrestling. I will not let you go until you bless me. This is our past. A true inheritance for all of us what we do with it is up to us now i love the words that jack cornfield one of the foremost western buddhist teachers wrote in the days after charlottesville he said unfortunately as a nation we have not genuinely come to terms with our past and it haunts us it haunts us through times of fear and guilt and insecurity it haunts us wherever there are times of national challenges and uncertainty Our fears are activated, the most primitive forces among us are empowered and unleashed. Instead, he holds up another model. Confession. Truth and reconciliation. He says, truth and reconciliation have to begin in ourselves. In these polarized and deeply troubling times, we are called upon to deepen our own practice of steadiness, courage, mindfulness, at love. It is at just these times that we must become the steady hearts that society needs. The ones who remember, who are unafraid to tell the truth, and who do so embodying the human possibility of compassion, understanding, and recognition. And reconciliation. I will not let you go until you bless me. I like to imagine that in that Jacob story, why he held on for dear life until he received the blessing is because in all that wrestling, he got to see his past. He got to see all the painful parts of it. He got to see all the things he thought he could get away with. He could get to see all the things that still haunted him. And he would say, no, now I will face them. In his wrestling, I hear love. Because one of the absolute truths that I trust above all else is that nothing holds the discomfort of a growing soul and a developing life more than love does. To be able to love ourselves into the transformation through the discomfort, through the wrestling, through the fact that so many of us who are privileged, including very much me, are really feeling uncomfortable for the first time in our lives about all this stuff, about the past, about the stuff I wasn't taught about in school. I was taught the opposite of it until I got to college when I had the first professor who really pushed me. And in my mind, I mean, I wrote the paper so I could get an A, trust me, because I wasn't, well, I was that kind of weak person. But I got to tell you, in my mind, I went through all these mental gyrations to say, no, that's not the America I know. That's not the truth. But it is. 
if we normalize our discomfort. These can be the seeds of empathy and compassion that point in a transformative way of a deeper, larger blessing for us all. Fragility, wanting to say, this makes me feel guilty, I'm not going to engage, doesn't get it done. In fact, many of you who I've had these conversations with, you are my best teachers to remind me to stay with the wrestling, that this is work that will continue long after we're past and I am past, but that now is our opportunity to show up. And so this is a long-winded way of bringing back to what Chris talked about at the start of the service. Let's fill that bus, please. You don't have to go, but you can reserve your own space. You can pay for it. You can donate it. Let's fill that bus today. And by the way, filling up that bus is great, but that's not everything. It's far from it. It's just a commitment that those of us here at Wellsprings are willing to engage the wrestling about race, about gender, about class, and about physical ability, about sexual orientation, and about all the things that honestly, unless I force myself, I don't have to think about. And so it is an act of choice an act of moral choice. Let's fill that bus as one sign of that choice of who we are together. That we can do the hard, healing things. That all the denials and all the historical puntings down the road, that these can start to end, not just with us alone, because we are part, however, of the larger us. May we be wrestling people. Twelve hours, twelve days, twelve years, 120 years. However long it takes. Let's wrestle together. May we be blessed. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, whose most unifying name is love, and not just love for some, but love for all, and not a sentimental love for all, but a love for all truly that recognizes the distance between our aspirations and our reality and is willing to be in that place and is willing to struggle and sweat and cry and perhaps even, yes, some of us bleed in that place. Because this is the way that the new identity, this is the way a country that finally lives up to its ideals will come into being. Maybe we can let go of that hope of the blessing and just wrestle and be here in all the discomfort and realize all of that love that's always been here as well. Amen.